0: So let's get down to business with another episode of Startup Hustle, brought to you by Fullscale.io.
1: What's up, Hustlers? Welcome back. This is Andrew Morgan, founder of Marknology. Here is today's host of Startup Hustle, covering all things e-commerce, Amazon, entrepreneurship, direct-to-consumer. We've got a little bit of it all today. Um, I'm excited to bring to you today's guest uh, but before I do today's topic is going to be about overcoming industry scandals and we've got a founder here of a pet brand that's um, really exciting and as a pet owner myself I think it's going to be really interesting to just know why he created this brand um, what was the meaning behind it the why behind it um, and overall learn a lot more about the pet industry Um, and the foods and pets that our our loved ones are consuming. So before we get in, I would love to give a shout out to today's sponsor for our episode. We're talking about Canva. Canva is where you go to collaborate and create amazing graphic design for free, whether it's a presentation to share an idea, a video to launch your business, or a social post to start a conversation. With Canva, you can design anything. Discover the magic of visual communication and how Canva helps you create a lasting impact today. Visit canva.com. To learn more david shuloff welcome to the show
0: dan shuloff but yes i'm happy to be on the show drew we're off on the right start. uh it's my pleasure happy to be here um nothing i like more than talking about myself yeah
1: so dialing in today out of utah salt lake
0: correct yeah salt lake city utah and like we were talking about there is a thriving startup ecosystem here you know I don't know if it's a function of the COVID era or if it's a function of my personality. I don't think of myself as being a part of the community. We are a startup that is based here. I spend remarkably little amount, small amount of time interacting with other uh, founders or kind of like just keeping up with the social circles or like media, even in the startup space. I do a lot of stuff in the scientific community and that's kind of where I live. I hear you
1: there. Um, You know, honestly, for me, it's been somewhat similar. I got plugged in a little bit into Kansas City, um, looking for mentorship at one point um, and trying to get some advice. I I knew a lot about Amazon, but I wanted to know more about business. And so I was plugging in Um, and it can be kind of hard finding like when a lot of founders or entrepreneurs in that community are talking like the startup stage. And you're like already like on to the next and trying to learn kind of what the next level is to go back there and have those conversations can be kind of hard, I think. When you're still in the weeds, you know of learning like what that is, and um you know for me, there's the entrepreneurial, like business building part of it, and then there's the like I'm trying to be an expert at what I do and know everything about it, and to do right. that, I can't be spending a lot of time, you know, on those things. So I very much understand where you're coming from.
0: Yeah, yeah, that that's well said. It's like a big, you know, we're a small organization, and our I'm very much the lead subject matter expert within our. Limited group. And so it's. You got work right. to
1: do and you got to stay learned up. And that's right. Um, yeah, that's well, right. I love that. Today's topic is covering overcoming industry scandal. Um, before we jump into kind of like the why behind your brand and, and talking to some of those things, I would love to just go back maybe even a little further from there. Oh, talk sure. about like you shared a little bit with me before the show got started, some interesting stuff about Yellowstone. I won't give it all away, yeah. but I would love for you to just start as far back as you want. Um, one, either like sharing your your um, introduction to pets and animals and your love for that, or how you how you came into entrepreneurship and why and why you started um,
0: this company? Sure. Um, it's one of these things. And I know this is a, a cliche, or it's a, it's a story that's overused. But there is a, um, there's a Steve Jobs commencement address. And he talks about the dot being able to connect the dots that led you to where you are. Once you get there, you yeah. can't see where the dots are going to lead going if you can only connect them in hindsight. And that I don't, you know, like I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't take in a lot of startup and business media. But that resonates a lot with me, because there is very much that when I look back in hindsight. Um, basically, I was a lawyer until 10 years ago. I okay. practiced intellectual property litigation at a big international firm. I got my first dog I grew up. With dogs, my mother like raised dogs, and so I always had dogs around as a kid. But I got my first like my dog when I was a you know yuppie, basically like living in Atlanta. I practiced law and went to college and Law School in Atlanta. And um, dog I got was a Rottweiler. I saw, okay. I saw your Doberman. Nobody's gonna be able to see us, but th- that's to their disadvantage because you have a very good looking dog. Thank you, Doberman that you've got. So you're familiar with these kinds, this type of breed, where like basically he was just quintessentially. Rottweiler, you know, very large, stereotypical, very intense, like intense dog that needed some degree of like daily exercise in order to become a polite member of society and not be a disaster. Don't we all? <laughs> Indeed. Um, and so, you know, I was a busy guy and I was working too much and I was trying to understand how to do that more effectively. And basically, a couple of things happened. Um, I, I found a product that worked super well for him. Okay, and I realized that there wasn't much i p protecting it, and that they weren't marketing it very well and um i had i I feel like I'm coming off in the, i I'd say I never consume any startup media, but there's one book that I read that actually did i you know I'm not a great fan of this dude, but Tim Ferriss's four hour work week I read when i was it, it maybe two thousand ten something like that, and it was so eye opening for me that like I could do this with the amount of savings I have, I could set up a micro business type concept where there's, it's essentially passive income. And I found this toy that worked great for him basically. And you, they still make these kinds of things. We've since shuttered this company, but it's basically a sphere. This is like a little bit bigger than a basketball and it's made out of hard plastic. Like you, you don't want to kick it with your toe because you hurt your toe like hard. And if you plop that down in a expanse, like a yard or something, some dogs have enough neuroticism and like herding drive where they just want to like kill it bit. and interact with it, but they can't get their jaw around it. They can't break it. And they just exhaust themselves like without any interaction through you. I was like, oh, this and it worked great for my dog. And I just like looked into it and I was like, these guys aren't doing this. This was like in the, you know, the wild west days of advertising on Facebook where like, the the ad market hadn't settled yet. And it was just like, oh man, I can sell this efficiently. Like 2014 or like, where are you at? 2011. Okay. 2011. And so basically like, yeah. So I, I read the four hour work week. I was intrigued by the concept, you know, I'm sure you know, some lawyers, the all built around this concept, the billable hour. And so like your value to the firm does not scale. You know what I mean? It's all a function of how much time you put in. So reading a book that's about, the antithesis of that was very compelling to me. Yep. And so I was like, oh, I wonder if this is a potential uh, avenue to do something like this. And when I decided to to do it and actually take the leap, I had grown so interested in exercising my dog, and this had an exercise angle that I was like, we're going to put an athletics brand on this. That's our our spin on this, and we called it Varsity Pets. And some of them were colored like tennis balls, some of them are colored like basketballs, and what, and they cost fifty bucks. Dog toys, $50, and got it off the ground, and no investment from anybody, um, like, micro, like, proper four-hour workweek style, and once that happened, I quit my job, and traveled some, and then was kind of just got, like, professional ants in my pants, and was like, I'm going to write a little ebook that's going to spin off it and, and amplify this brand, build my credibility with this brand. And since exercise is the thing, we're going to focus on exercise, Exercise exercising your dog ebook. I can do this. Okay. Um, I have literary ambitions that go beyond putting together an ebook. And as I got into the process of trying to write up like a simple kind of like guide for exercise, like what the evidence says about how to exercise your dog effectively I came upon facts that kind of blew my mind. And the facts pertain to the problem of obesity among pets in the Western world. It's like, you know, sister issue to exercise and the facts about obesity among like dogs and cats in the United States are obscene. It's basically there's two key ones. Number one is more than half of the dogs and cats in the United States are overweight or obese. So I've seen your dog and your dog is not obese.
1: He was the owner but like you know, it's it's a testament to the owners. Like this is the country we're in, you know, too. So
0: look, so, so that is the typical mainstream explanation. Is look, it's owners are either not able to appreciate how bad this is for the dog, and the reality is that the like the second interesting fact is that it's been shown to be worse for a dog than a lifetime of smoking for a person. To wow. their lifespan by more than a lifetime of smoking will shorten yours on a percentage basis. So anyway, pet owners, we're either too dumb to appreciate that. We're too lazy. We don't exercise ourselves. How can we be expected to exercise our dogs? Or we're too, like, weak-willed. We don't um, – can't stop. Can't stop ourselves from giving the dog a treat when it wants a treat. And so as a result, more than half of them, the average dog, is overweight or obese. That didn't seem like the whole – seemed like there was more to the story to me. And so I kind of like was expanding the subject matter that I was covering. And basically I went through three different iterations of like, I need to burn this down and start again because there's a bigger story. This is a bigger scale project. It deserves more effort, deserve, like multiple times. And ultimately I spent four years, wrote this book that's 400 pages long. It's got a hundred pages, just references Went all over the country, and like you said, to Yellowstone to live with the biologists from the Yellowstone Wolf Project, and all sorts of other places, and created this thing that tries to explain what, what's all otherwise very difficult to explain to, in my eyes. And basically, the thesis—this is where it gets to my company—is that carbohydrate is the devil for dogs. That's that's what the research says. Is, is it up- is
1: it filler, and that's why these manufacturers are pumping it into product.
0: Well, so okay, here so the reason the carbohydrate is to blame for the obesity problem is there's an abundant like body of scientific research that shows this. So like they you can do these studies really easily with much more easily with dogs than with people where you take two groups and you give them exactly the same number of calories for like 6 weeks and all you do differently is toggle the amount of macronutrient. So like one group gets more protein and less carbs, vice versa. And they've done it a half dozen times. You don't need a, like a metabolic ward or anything like you need with humans. You, you know exactly how many calories you're feeding the dogs. And every time they've done it, the same thing happens. The dogs that eat more carbohydrate, but exactly the same number of calories get fat. The other dogs don't get fat. Wow. But every textbook, I, I you know, there are only 27 veterinary schools in the United States. And so I've reviewed the curriculum from every single one, tracked down the textbook that they're using to teach nutrition in every single one. And in not one of those where you'll see that body of research highlighted in every single one of those, you hear all calories are created equal, which is demonstrably false in the scientific record. And it's being taught to every vet. And so to me, the natural question is the same one you just asked, well, why, why are they not just telling them like telling it like it is? And what you learn quickly when you start to look at the science of companion animal nutrition is that pet food companies play a colossal role in shaping that in every conceivable way. And those guys basically rely on carbohydrate for their products as much as like a cigarette company relies on tobacco. It is the backbone of the product. The vast- does it make
1: it does it make it um like have an addictive person like uh what's the word properties meaning like you know co- like we crave like carbs, carbs as humans, you know, we're yeah. like
0: I think it's, it's a fair thesis. It's not like a well-established one in the record. It's just hard. We're talking about stuff between the ears. Dogs it's it's hard. Cognition is one thing, but like uh, tendency like that. And a, compulsion I think is another, and it's difficult, but um, what th- the reasons the carbohydrate is so common in kibble style, pet food are twofold. Number one, if you to make kibble it was long believed that you needed to use dietary carbohydrate, that it's like, just like when you bake a loaf of bread, for a long time, everyone was like, you have to use flour, flour is the necessary to, yeah. ingredient, because when you it, it basically heat it up gelatinizes, and it holds all everything else together. And kibbles basically made the same way. It's like meaty version of that. Okay. And so since there's been kibble, which is like mid 19th century, it's been be- being made with a lot of starch. And then the second one is there's a huge business incentive to do it that way because it costs like one tenth what a calorie of animal protein costs. It costs, you know, if they were to just swap out all of the corn in any garden variety kibble product for lamb or something like that, you're talking about a product that is like eight to 10 times as expensive to produce. So it's like a huge pressure. And all that stuff, like, you know, there are tons, millions and millions of pets in the United States long before the body of research that I was describing for you existed, long before people had written books that showed, you know, that made the keto diet a fad in the human nutrition world. There was a pet food industry long before that. And these companies were huge. And it's a lot like what happened with big tobacco and smoking. It's like the science comes out after you've got these colossal industries already established and...
1: Their brand is too big.
0: They don't do the like they just instead of just being like, oops, we'll just turn the ship around, they just fight. And so that's what's going on here. And it manifests at the scientific level, the academic level, the regulatory level, the marketing level, and it's just a mess. And they basically do everything they can to hide the fact that the product is all carbohydrate and that carbohydrate is super bad for dogs.
1: So (laughs) out of the out of this book, out of this research, out of this like quest. To really uncover like everything you were finding as you started that ebook that turned into something a lot bigger than that. Is that where Keto Natural came from? Is well, that like, or was that still for product one, which was like, you know, the toys?
0: No, I really just used, like I said, that like the whole goal there was I don't want to work as much. I just want something that's going to be passive income. And then I realized I couldn't cope with that and I had to work more. And so I spent all this time working on this book and I used that to support myself basically. That's okay. how I was able to, to work so hard and for so long on the book. Um, Keto natural is different. Keto natural pet foods is the company that I founded shortly after publishing the book this book has kind of two main theses. One is carbohydrates super bad for dogs. And the other one is the like kind of cultural thesis that I was explaining why the lay public and the veterinary community doesn't believe that already, like the story of how that and so um, when I was putting the book out in the fall of 2016, you know, if you believed that, if you had read the book and you felt persuaded by it, or if you were you'd come to that belief on your own, you, you know, you were drinking the Kool-Aid about keto diets for yourself already or whatever, there aren't great options for you if you weren't yep. for feeding your dog a low carb diet. kind of had two options and neither was great. You could feed it the lowest carb kibble you could find. But like I said before, for a long time, folks have just believed you need to use flour to make bread. You need to use carbohydrate to make pet foods. And so the like lowest carb kibbles you could find at this time were like 30% still 30% carbohydrate, which is better than 50 or 60 still, you know, 10 times as much as any wolf has ever eaten, you know, and it adds up over the course of the animal's lifetime. Well, we all
1: know, we all know the best, the best brands and the best products are made from a need from solving a problem. You know, I think this is
0: like this. I mean, yeah, this is how this was It's just like. I wanted to feed my dog a low carb diet. And I that's what I had done before is I had fed I found this product that was like the best, lowest carb kibble I could find and chose that. Because the other option, if you're into this kind of thinking, is you could feed a non-kibble style of pet food. You could feed a raw or a fresh diet. And because those aren't it's not like baking bread with those, it's just like uh just ingredients that are just freeze-dried or frozen or whatever. It's carbohydrate doesn't have to like be like chicken
1: whatever. finger, like chicken claws and like you know the leftover parts of animals and like is that what you're referring to honestly just curious
0: no they're like the frozen like the frozen foods. depends who you ask depends who you should like it's you could have one of these guys on your show that runs one of these like fresh food companies and they'll tell you to some degree what kind of meat goes in there but the defining quality is that it's not getting big it doesn't have to be cooked and and melded together and so you don't have to use carbohydrate though. Some brands do because they still have the same financial incentive that I highlighted. But for a long time, you could find, and you still can find, all meat, zero carbohydrate raw diets for dogs that are good products. Okay. However, you, I know you said your dog weighs a hundred pounds. Okay. I got, I t- like I told you, I have two St. Bernards. One, the adult is 140 and the, um, the puppy is already 80 he'll oh be bigger than 140 and raw diets aren't just like a little bit more than kibble they're like they're unitized really differently like i saw kibble in 24 pound bags and the like raw diets are like individual pad they, they make it so the sticker shock isn't doesn't like completely blow you, get you smaller
1: away. amounts yeah
0: but on a per calorie or per meal basis it's like five to eight times as much as the fanciest kibble you can find Well,
1: I mean, it's hard for me not to relate that to like going to the grocery store. And if you walk to like the organic aisle, it's like, you know, it's probably 5x what you're getting on on the processed aisle.
0: Sure. But here's the difference is the dog, the domestic dog is the most physically diverse species walking on planet Earth, land species. Okay. And so if you're somebody that has a 10 pound, um, you know, Bichon or Yorkie or something like that, the difference between feeding it fancy kibble. And a nice raw diet might be the difference between 40 cents and $3 a day. Not so bad, right? You know what I mean? But if you have 300 pounds of dog like I do, that's equivalent to, you know, 50 Yorkies. And so for me, that five to 800% increase is a complete non-starter. It's just not, I'm not going to go from spending $20 a day to spending $140 a day to feed my dogs. And so neither of those options is great for everybody. And so by the time I was doing the book, I was like, if we could make kibble, but with a truly low carbohydrate content, like a raw diet, there'd be people that would want that. And so ultimately, that's what keto natural Foods is, is we make
1: I love it. It's very relatable to me. Um, in the Amazon space, I own an Amazon agency, you know, we help brands in e commerce and Amazon um, would would like to think and I'm, I haven't been proven wrong. But we were we were first we were early. Uh, at least in regards to doing this for other people. And, you know, there's the gurus and you see like passive income, have an Amazon company we will build it for you and hand it off. And like, you know, when you looked around, you just couldn't find anything like what we had. And I was like, I was just really obsessed with Amazon, the algorithm and like marketing of it. I love the the blend of e-commerce. It's like marketing and technology where it comes together. And um, so for me, I was just like obsessed about it. There's no one doing it right yeah um and i was like no this information that's out there is false like this is not the case there's a lot of fear information basically like whether it's coming from facebook or shopify or whoever was putting out information it just wasn't accurate there's a lot of false information about selling on amazon and more so it's about people that just don't know what they don't know you know and so it became i'm going to solve this problem by creating this myself um because you know helping brands Helping brands like you can get national exposure, international exposure if you know how to do this thing right. It's like a huge opportunity for brands. Um, and that's how I saw it. Um, and as I learned more and dug in more and dug in more and dug in more, it became like, wow, this is something that I have to do. And if someone's not doing photography for e commerce, if someone's not doing SEO for Amazon, if someone's not doing this for that, it was like, we, we've got to create it ourselves. Um, so I think that the best ideas come of that. Um, so you launched the book. Now, you now you've got the brand, like, what What are you guys passionate about? Um, as you grow the brand from here, like as it became like a, this bigger project than you had ever imagined, you wanted a passive income thing. Now it's definitely I would yeah. assume it's not passive at this point. No, no,
0: no, 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 no. This is a very different scale. This is like this is it's my belief that every pet owner in America should understand what the science said, you know, they all like that's, I'm sort of fueled by this is like not easy to really admit, I guess, but like, I'm not like, I get a good ping, emotional ping from helping people understand something new that can, they can put to use with their dog. And you're helping pets everywhere. Yeah. it, It does make me feel good. However, it is not as motivating for me personally as the righteous indignation that I feel about people, about the brands, that are fucking people over, that are pulling the wool over people's eyes, giving their dogs diseases, unbeknownst to them. These animals that live really short lives in the first instance, and are being people are being like actively misled in a way that I catalog in granular detail in the book. And it's just like I'm gonna fucking bring those guys down. And that's that a lawyer in you. Like, I like that. I like it's that. Just, it's just I don't. It's like I used to be a lawyer. I liked being a lawyer, and it's still part of how I think about it. And so uh, yeah, this is the 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 ambition here is not passive income the ambition is we're going to be the biggest you know we're going to take over the because it's the right thing to do it is it is the right thing to do i so. feel
1: very i feel very similar to that and like i i wouldn't be ashamed admitting it but um for me like there's a lot of agencies there's a lot of marketing companies that are shady right like that take people's money and don't deliver and absolutely um, all of those things so it's been to create a company that's built on trust and reputation and that like does things the right way and like i can be kind in business and i can do business yeah. right and i can yeah. be like you know it's like um and there's tons of companies that are bigger than mine better than mine uh at least perception wise that just take people's money or yeah. you know they're telling them hey your amazon's running great and it's like it's it's barely getting along um so it can very much relate to that like I just want people to know the truth about this industry. I want people to know the truth about what it takes to build a brand, whether it's on Amazon or e-commerce or brick and mortar, they're all, they're all connected. Right? So it, it's hard work. Um,
0: so there's no so many effort, people, I mean, like in, in it, for any company, you know, one thing that I really believe in is if I'm an entrepreneur and I'm going to create a company and tell people they should be doing it this way, everyone should know it's mine, not because I want the credit, but because I am, I have skin in the game. I want yeah. people to see that if this, if I don't do what I'm telling you, you can take it up with me, Daniel Shuloff, the person. It's not this brand and we cycle out CEO or whatever. I made this and I stand behind it. And I do a lot of these kind. I don't do a lot of like, like I said, startup interviews. I do a lot of animal and science interviews. And it's just obscene how few like try to get another pet food CEO that's willing to just put yourself in front of whoever and answer your questions. Cause I know, you know, I'll admit what is a problem and I can be conversant about what's good, but like most of the brands, like the, not the most, all of them, really. It's just like, it's just all hidden and there's no line of communication and there's no, like, like it's, it's such an indication that, some they're they're some, running from something right It's just so obviously an indication of that when the political candidate doesn't want to do a debate it's because they're worried about how the, what's, what's what they're going to get asked and so I, it's just so obvious to me and yet it's just like no go try i mean i don't know what you feed your dog but go see if you can get their ceo uh on your next show and i wish you the best of luck you know, you know right? it's
1: like it makes me think like marketing as i love marketing and i like I get turned on when I see good marketing. I also like see it everywhere and it makes me sad because, you know, it's like, Oh my God, like, I just wanted to enjoy something for what it is not because I've been sold it, you know? And so anytime you're obsessing about something, you start seeing that just like you saw IP when you were looking for that toy product and saw that it it lacked it. We do a lot of brand protection is a big part of what we do as well. Not just getting them on Amazon, but making sure they're protected and all those things. And, um, you know, there's this, there's this element to it. That's, um, I don't know if I'm going to go there with that one. I'm going to say, I'm going to say that I'm still live edit, But but um, you know, there's an element to it. That's just like um, can be confusing when you're trying to make sense of it all and understand exactly which way to go with it. Um, I want to jump, I want to jump topics. Like I want to jump topics and I want, I want you to touch base on this and kind of like where um, like how you're introducing the brand and how you're like kind of uh, standing, standing out as a, a natural food. Yeah.
0: So it's, like, dude, it's, it's easy as you've, well, in some ways it's like, couldn't be easier because one of the reasons that it was abundantly clear to me, like, this is once I had the book out, it was like, this is the next thing we're going to do is we're going to make low carb kibble pet food is because like everybody was dancing around it, but nobody was actively embracing it at what is very, con- I'm sure you're familiar with this, which are shopping for your own dog. The, the, there's a big, broad subsector of the industry that's, basically what are called grain free diets. That's a, that's a term of art in the pet food world that a lot of people will say to refer to the supposed healthy products. These are (laughs) products that are like marketed with a lot of the same wellness and health imagery and language as a lot of kind of supplement or exercise products are in the human space. And the idea is, you know, there's, it's grain free. And there's an icon of a ear of corn with a big red X over it. And then um, it says, no, this, no, that, no corn, no rice, no wheat. Um, There's a wolf on the bag. There's a steak on the bag. And everything about it says this is low in carbohydrate content, but it's not. It's, but it's just not. playing. It's, it's like they just use potato the
1: or something that was already not there. Okay, I knew what I was gonna go with this. And I lost it for a second. But it's like, okay, now you go to the store as a marketing person. And I see them say, like, vegan friendly, or like, you know, just like you're saying a big red X through it, like, no animals were harmed in the making of this. Well, like, you know, they're pointing out all these things that were already naturally there yeah right just to confuse you about like the product well like no shit there shouldn't be any like animals like you know um harmed in the making of this product i'm gonna feed to my dog right it's like that's an assumed thing you shouldn't have to clarify that this is vegan friendly or like yada 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 or uh what's the other ones it'll be it'll say like fat free or for humans or like different things you're like
0: that's just how the product was anyway and that's a part of marketing that i hate um i know know the phenomenon that you mean where it's just like Let's figure out the best thing. It, it happens a lot at the ingredient level in pet food is you'll see marketing framed around ingredients. And for everyone that's in the food, there's a health-based explanation next to it. You know, we use blueberries because they're high in antioxidant, whatever, you know, we and but it's why like, is just so like, it's so attenuated, cheesy. it's yeah. so lame. And it's just like that to put yourself out there, like you just meticulously handpicked blueberries because that's the right place to add antioxidants for a dog is just like, it's just cringe. It's
1: silly. It's like being on a dating app and saying like, I'm not short or something, you know, it's just like, why do you have to say that?
0: what I would look at it's like
1: douchebag. Like, you know,
0: you don't tell somebody you're funny. Like
1: you have to show that. I'm hilarious. Like (laughs) I'm tall. I'm like, yeah, it's just like, it's silly. Um, and that's like when you see that in marketing, it's because like good marketing is the opposite of that, right? It's like just authentically sharing what you have to share. Like, um, you know, your dog will live 10 times longer if you like that's something worth sharing, you like know? If same, it, uh,
0: but like it's, that, it's so when we were trying to figure out what angle. Yeah, and it's like it, we're just like we, what we want is to communicate to people that we're different. We have like a numbers based thing where it's like everybody else in the industry is on an island and we're complete or we're on the island. Everybody else is on a completely different place. And we can just say things like we have 90 percent less carbohydrate than boom, this big, recognizable, relatively low carb brand.
1: That said, one, educating them why the carbohydrates are bad. That's and then a two,
0: Yeah, that's the bigger challenge, because that's like. If you're, if you're the kind of consumer that reads a 400 page book to think about an issue, great. We're all over you. If you're somebody that's not, that's not how your decision-making process works. It's harder because this is a science-based argument and you have to listen long enough for me to explain some element of why your vet hasn't told you this. And so it's, there's, there's very inherent challenges in that, but you know, it's good too. It's like, I have a very substantive differentiator. I don't have to doll it up with anything.
1: When your shit's good, it's good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so but what's here's, here's the super weird pet food thing. You probably appreciate one of the ways that brands legacy brands have been able to pull the wool over the consumer's eyes about how much car- carbohydrates in the product is they own the regulatory agency. Basically, mm. the, the regulatory body is not even a governmental one. It's a private industry body that puts out model rules and they get adopted as a matter of course. And like what- AKC or something like that, like it's called AFCO the Association of American Feed Control Officials. Every year, they write up new model rules. Here, this is what the book looks like. It's the 22 AFCO official publication. Got all the rules. And then individual state legislatures enact those model rules once a year, basically. That's what happens as a matter of course. But for all practical, intents and purposes, AFCO sets the rules. For what you can, can't, uh, have to put on a pet food label. Okay. You cannot include in the, le- you know, the nutrition facts, I got my Diet Coke here, the nutrition facts thing on the back, the FDA's nutrition facts panel, calories, total fat, sodium, total carbohydrate, protein, most obvious things that most people want to know about. The doggy version of that is called a guaranteed analysis panel. You are not allowed to disclose. Not only do you not require to, you are not allowed to disclose the carbohydrate, total carbohydrate content. Wow. You are in addition, affirmatively prohibited from using the expressions, low carbohydrate, low starch, low sugar, any of those, like anything that's like in that same domain, outright prohibition on, they can pull your product off the shelf. Wow. So you're making low carb, like, are we make low carb dog food? How do I communicate to the consumer that that's the thing about our product? It's like a actual communications challenge, and basically they left the keto diet keto language became a thing after low carb diets did like the, the it, like keto didn't just like the people were advocating for restricting carbohydrate before key, keto diet was an expression that people understood. And so the regulations didn't prohibit that keto. as well. And so we just jumped on that and, and used that prefix. And everybody nowadays understands keto means low carb, and um, yeah, we expect the regulations actually to change. It's so actually-
1: you needed the industry to kind of catch up or at least like in a way to find a way to relate to them.
0: It's going to be a better um, environment for us to sell our product in two years. I'll tell you that much because they're going to start. They're basically the first really material improvement to these regulations in like more than a decade is coming. They used to not even you didn't even have to tell them how much calories were in the product like not very long ago that changed now the carbohydrate thing is changing it still has like it won't have teeth for a couple more years but when it does I' be ready it. people are gonna be like what my blue buffalo fancy kibble is six science diet carbohydrate yeah. Yeah. Well, science diet my god they're gonna have their eyes are gonna pop out of their head so yeah that, you'll be it. ready I love yeah, it we'll be in a good position by that I mean you know like that's We have, you know, when I tried, that's one of the core storylines that I present when I'm pitching investors is like our e-commerce performance, our first mover advantage, and this forthcoming regulatory change and the science. Like, look, man, I know more about the science than anybody that's out here doing this. And I'm telling you, it's there. And it's just a matter of time until everybody understands it. It's better look.
1: I got I got a question for you. I want, like, as we're getting close on time, I got a couple more questions I want yes. you to answer oh, you before we get in. As a reminder, today's episode of startup hustle is sponsored by Canva with Canva. You can design your idea with ease, get inspired with over 500,000 free templates and a rich content library that helps you and your team achieve your goals. Sign up and start designing for free at canva.com. All right, Daniel. So like, as we wrap up, I'd like to say one, like, what is, what are you guys working on um, as a team? like not to market it, but as a team, like with product, like what's something you guys are working on that you're super excited about?
0: Yeah, so pet food, the startup pet food world. I'm just like, I'm gonna have to revisit my disclaimer about not being involved in the startup community because I, like I keep, I feel like I know a lot about you it. You are
1: more than you, you it's think. my
0: identity. I don't want to admit that I, but anyway, in the pet food startup world, there's a pretty well-established product development trajectory that you kind of have to follow. It. And it goes dogs before cats, adult dogs before puppies. And the reasons for it, if you thought about it long enough, you'd probably, you'd figure it out. It's that like what I was saying before I have 300 pounds of dog, a cat weighs five pounds. I am worth 80 or whatever, 70, 65 cat owners. You know what I mean? That my cost per acquisition.
1: Your average that- order value is a lot higher.
0: <laughs> you know what I mean? So like the subscribe, the, the consumer economics are d- apples and oranges. And so if you're trying to demonstrate fast paced growth, you've got, and you have very limited resources, you've got to grow on the dog side first. So everybody does. Same basic logic applies to adults versus puppies. Same kind of thing. It's a little bit different because, you know, puppy is potentially a very long-term customer, but essentially we have figured out over the course of a lot of work, how to make kibble square. We figured out square the circle where you can make kibble without relying heavily on carbohydrate. And we can extend that same concept into additional products. It is not Got technologically it. difficult for me to make cat food, for me to make puppy food, for me to make other protein recipes. We sell salmon and chicken right now. We have lamb coming down the pike. And it's just like, there's just a lot. It's a what about equine? Stuff. Is equine in the pipeline? never that- I mean, look, man, I've been on a horse in a long time. I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about this. The thing is like, you go to the veterinarian and, and you kind of expect that, like, okay, this person knows everything there is to know all body systems about all animals. It's like, it's, I know one species and really like five issues like metabolism, protein and muscle development, obesity and body composition that's close to it, but I know them incredibly well. I know the people who wrote the studies, I know that like words that are like everything, and so it's like I, I couldn't tell you the first thing about it.
1: mastery is like, like, like what ten thousand hours on something,
0: right? Uh, like uh, yeah, I I know the book, but I I, I don't know I, I don't, don't know if I've spent ten thousand hours. I just mean well, I like in general, 10, it's like hours a year. So I'll tell you that much. What's that? I used to when I was a lawyer, you got you bonus if you build two thousand hours a year.
1: So, billable hours. Well, when you're an entrepreneur, you're working morning, night, evenings. Like you're consumed with it. Yeah. You know, when you're researching.
0: I think I work less than the average bear, to be honest with you. I think that, um, a couple of things. One is like I did my first experience with entrepreneurship was a four hour work week model where the, the one of the most important qualities was having an automated system. Yeah. And so that's baked into the DNA of how we market our products. Like we sell through those kind of channels. Like I'm, I'm reasonably good at using that kind of concepts to automate this. Um, and then the other thing is I just like fancy myself, uh, creative kind of like i write a lot and i put out video and audio content like this and you know as well as anybody you can't mail it in if you're not yeah. like you might as well just not do it you know i can't write like just being like i gotta do two more hours of writing doesn't I might as well not do it. it doesn't count it just has to be good or it's not worth anything and so that's part of my philosophy kind of too and so those two things together I, I just don't think i work as hard as most entrepreneurs
1: Honestly, i wouldn't say as hard just you know there's there's uh well, for the longest time in corporate, I believed I could get done in like three hours, what most people did in eight. You know, yeah, so I'm sure you can. I'm sure like, you that's can. that's why I had to start my own business because it just I wasn't getting paid for that. You know, so it was like production matters. Um, but no, when you're a creative, when you're a content, when you're putting out, like someone could look at my Instagram right now and be like, oh, he's not putting out four pieces a day. Like he's not doing it like he should be. Like yada yada yada. I'm like, well, when I put something out, it's like I mean it. I feel it it's like, it's coming for me. So maybe it's a month, maybe it's three months sometimes. But like, when I put out something, you know, there's a reason. And I think that that's when you're writing about someone with passion, um, you can't force it.
0: Yeah, there's just like, this is a long term play too. like, this is not a lot of people grind hard in year one. And, you know, like, I've been doing this for 10 years, man. And it's like, not sustainable in certain ways. And it is sustainable for me in other ways. And I kind of have learned what I can, what I can do. And where I can just lay it I down. Kinda, I kind of, I kind of had a fun.
1: I had a fun idea for you. Take it or leave yes. it. Like yes. you know, throw it away if it's trash. But like you know, a way to really show your product against others um, would be to like almost find influencers, but in the dog world, right? Exactly. Like these. Yeah, and just uh, so having these influencers that are basically on your products that are competing in some of these things, you know, we joked about my dog doing the local KC like five K, and he's like training or whatever, and just you know, kind of making it this play almost like Gatorade, right, I'll for athletes. You, when they come the out. Thing.
0: So it's I'm with you, and I have a, I've I can tell you my version of that idea that I've had that we haven't effectuated yet. To so tell you, that there's what okay. you know, good minds think alike. Um, You, I mean, like you feed a dog a low carbohydrate diet and it takes the body fat off. And if you have a dog that has a small coat, like your dog, it is really noticeable. They go from being, you can't see the ribs to, you could see the ribs, you could see the musculature and it is impressive looking in those kind of dogs. People are obviously very vain to some people about their own physical development and like to show off their bodies that they feel Mm -hmm. proud of them. I feel like on America's fittest dog competition, That is driven by social media would i think people are signing up for that and i'm a hundred percent rock solid confident that a dog on keto natural pet foods
1: that's what i was thinking about like you know my dog is not a show dog like he won't be a show dog he's a european doberman they're like known for athleticism they do like jumping or running or like you know different stuff like that um almost like the warrior games you know like those kinds of things And you just have the ones that are winning. And if they're like, you know, they're on good diets and they're on the right foods and like, you know, that's going to happen. So
0: it'd
1: be fun without having to um, maybe speak to those things that you can't, you know, Uh, I guess results results, results is in the pudding or whatever that cliche is. Like,
0: like if you do, if it's a competitive uh, athletic thing as opposed to body condition competition, it's limited. You know, it's like your, your dogs and these like Belgian Malinois, Dutch Shepherds, like physically can do things that like your neighbor's pug or whatever can't do, but every dog looks legit. If it has, like, if you take the, if the hair is, is not heavy, you could see it and it's super impressive. And it's just like, this is what a perfect, this is what a good body looks like. This is yep. like what a dog, like, the, you know, and it, it, it,
1: it, it, it. in the e-commerce before and afters are like everything, before and I afters, think. Right. Like, you know, really yep. showing people the progress and the results, like, that'd be cool um so i'm gonna have to follow just to see what you come out with
0: soon. don't hold me i'll tell you what there's if 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 i had to put out social media content in order to sell dog food if i had to personally do it we would not be we would have been in the grave by now because i i that's just you're like i'm trying to write research articles i can't do it can't do it but you should follow us anyway because we have really good people that do do it
1: yeah it's teamwork teamwork makes the dream work Right. Um, okay, as we're wrapping up, we talked about like, what you're working on is fun. We got new product coming down the pipeline. What's something you would just share? Um, you know, as a founder, like, you know, as an entrepreneur that you would share with somebody else that's, that's chasing a passion project like this and deciding if it's like worth it to go all in or not?
0: Can I give you a couple of answers? If I keep? It yes, way? sir. Please okay, do. So one is get comfortable, mentally comfortable with what it would look like to go to zero. And when you can get comfortable with that, then you can make the leap. That's how it was for me. It's like, okay, if I, if I leave this job as a lawyer and I do this and it fails completely, what will my life look like? Will I be able to get back on my feet and do something? Will I be disappointed? Of course. But will I be able to get up from that? Once I was like, yeah, I'll have a, you know, some credit card debt. I'll take a couple steps back in my legal career, but I, that's not the end of the world. I can do that at the long, grand scheme of things. That was a big, important moment for us. Okay. You can, not, it's easy enough to just be like, it's uncertain and risky. And I don't know if it doesn't work and not really just think deeply about like what it would really look like. It's not, you know, so that's one, but then the other one, and I swear to God, this is the truth. And it is not a rehearsed line. This is honest to God. The The thing that in my life has improved my decision-making most is anytime I get advice from any uh, it's like every year, the less advice I accept uncritically, the better dis- my, I think my decision making has gotten. And it sounds super, super hubristic and fair, whatever, but it's just like I my level of skepticism that I applied just across the board, no matter how legit it feels, no matter how well reasoned and plausible it sounds, unless I'm just really rigorous about not accepting it from anybody because everybody's just pitching their own thing these days. And I just think I've gotten better and better at decision making. The, fir- the more rigorous I've been about just being like, don't listen to other people's advice.
1: Well, well, I want to I want to jump in on both of those. So one, I think the key to number one and not caring about hitting bottom is either one, it just happens to you naturally and you like go to zero and you just realize that you're able to pick yourself back up. Yeah, so you, you learn that.
0: Face. It's not as scary as You learn
1: that, and yeah. it doesn't have to be in the leap. It could have happened before or whatever, but you learn that lesson. I think the second thing is simply like the less you care about what other people think, right? So like I have no problem going back to zero, but what about my mom will be disappointed yeah. and this and that. Right. And so those are the things I think that most people struggle with when they really think about it and they bring it all the way back down to zero is like, would you care about starting over? Well, just I've made it this far. People think I have a level of success. I don't want to go back yeah. to zero, you know, that is and then, right. That's like, and then number two, um, one of the things I've said, like I've been in, the, I've been in the Amazon space 11 years. So you've been in the space 10 years. Like we've been going at it and, um, for me, like being in the Midwest has been an advantage to me from being in LA or New York or Miami or, or on the coast, because I'm not seeing what everyone else is doing. I'm building my agency. I'm doing my thing. Um, and in a way it's kept me from like getting all these other outputs, you know, or inputs from, from the outside. Oh my God, this right, agency is building this way and this company is doing this and yeah. it's been an advantage. And one of the biggest mistakes, if I could say a mistake would be my own insecurities around, my business acumen or like, you know, accounting or bookkeeping or all the other things that go with it. Sure, I'm a creative, whatever, but I'm trying to build a business. And whether those insecurities were like, go seek out mentorship or go seek out someone that knows this that you can learn from or etc. And I was listening to podcasts, I was listening, reading books, like finding those things. And I was taking this information and because I had no base for it really, like my own base level of business knowledge, I was like trying to put it into play just like it was coming in. So someone's giving me advice okay, this is Tim Ferriss giving me advice. I'm going to put this in a player. This is Gary Vee or this is whoever the case might be. Instead of taking it in, then putting it through the filter of Andrew and then being like, okay, this is good for me or not. It just would come in like as advice from them, try to implement that advice right away. And I failed miserably every time. Yeah. So it was a matter of like, okay, take that advice, keep the good, leave the rest. I say that's kind of cliche, but for me it works. It's like, take that input, take the good from it, Um, anything that doesn't serve me or that doesn't fit, let it go. And for some people, they can't do that. So they need to cut it off like almost completely. Um, But if you can have a few of those people, it's like I always relate business to dating, but and not trying to take over. But I think these are great points and something that I hit on all the time for anyone that's a listener of the show. But it's like for dating, it's like, do you take dating advice from someone that's never had a successful relationship before? Right. Like who are you taking business advice from? And and in the Amazon space, there had been no one that had done what I did before. And if they had, then great I would have like listened but because they weren't like taking on this battle that I was taking on because they weren't trying to listen to my um this thing I had right it was better for me not to have any input at all so that I wouldn't be discouraged kind of by the input that's coming in change do this this is easier this is easier scaling a service-based business is the hardest thing that there is in business like get into tech or easy 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 I haven't gone the easy way now I've gone the hard way and I'm at the top of an industry uh, because I took on all the problems and learned how to solve them. Um, and that's like, just, just giving that feedback to our listeners. I just wanted to kind of double down on what you're saying in that, um, either one, it's like very, be very, very, very careful about your inputs or two, like when you are taking those inputs, make sure to filter it through who you are as a person, because that's the only thing you have to bring to the table as a founder. It's like, this is who I am. This is what I'm passionate about. And you know, these things apply to me. You said you had several, so those are two I'm passing them mic oh, yeah. back. You got one more for me?
0: Um, I mean, I guess I would say like, don't give yourself too much credit. <laughs> like there are so I've always at least like perceived any given situation in the real world as being like hugely influenced by stuff that's outside of my control. Yeah, And it's really easy to get locked into a style of thinking where outcome is determined by my inputs, how good quality of my decision making, how hard have I worked on something, What are the resources I've gathered to put towards it? But in reality, I, at least the way that I always see the world is just like so many of the most impactful things are outside of your control. And the example that always stands out to me is like, I can't control what my competitors do in any given moment. And in a a line of business, in any line of business, you're dealing with competitors Mm -hmm. and they're all smart and they're all well-resourced. They all got their own agenda. And some of the time they're going to make really good decisions. Some of the time they're going to do poorly. And I can't really shape that. I can try to outdo them, but in terms of like what they decide to do, I'm not going to be able to shape that too effectively. And that stuff's going to influence hugely how how successful I am. And so that shapes a lot of like real world decision making around like, you can develop too much of a, I mean, like a God complex is like too much that's overstating it, but just like you can make decisions that give credit to people for like getting everything exactly right. Cause the outcome was super good and you liked the process, but it's easy to forget that like, that's really just one small part of it. So how do you like, just,
1: uh, just on that thought, like, how do you I guess if you're like, okay, I got to win or like, or a competitor crashed and burned or the pandemic happened that like made my business grow or not, or, you know, I'm simply winning because everybody else closed their doors. You know, like in some of those cases, it's just like, it is what it is. In other cases, it's, it feels like a team win or a a win. I guess I'm looking for a little bit of feedback of like, okay, cool. You got yourself in the mindset to not take too much credit, not, you know, not be too like about yourself and what you, what you did. what is like let's just take that one step further as we wrap up and like what is uh something you do to counter that i guess
0: or like you know how do well, you process those wins like, and things like that the best example is to um not over reward yourself or your team members or over penalize like for good outcomes basically like even there are going to be times when you feel incredibly good about process. And then in retrospect, process was was adhered to, executed, and the outcome was what our best expectations and hopes were. Okay, that's a full-on success as much as you can like for- have one. But most of the time, there's some elements of like, okay, good we name, got a good man. outcome or a bad outcome. And there's going to be a tendency... Everybody is going to attribute you. You attribute it to yourself, and so if you have team members who are like, um, you know, who are feeling very good about that, you could be tempted to double down on that and be like, "Oh, well, they got a good outcome." Chase the reward. Chase the reward. Chase the outcome. Chase the outcome. Chase the outcome. Or penalize it when it's bad. You know what I mean? And it's it's taking you trying to remove yourself from or trying to remember that their input is only part of what leads to the outcome in any situation. Can help you make better decisions. I think about where to deploy or take resources away from. As you
1: try no, to Daniel, that's so success. good, and I think um, it kind of puts it in that more of like let's approach everything as it has some good and some bad instead of chasing outcome. You're just chasing process, which is ultimately you know the, the path to
0: success. That's as good as you could do. I mean, it's like there are. I, I believe like finding good people is hugely important, uh, and it makes a colossal difference. Um, it's just you know, what does it mean to be the good person? Like, what kind of evidence do you want to look for? What don't you want to look for? How much do you value various types of things? And uh yeah, it's less of psychological. It's like, I don't really believe I can overcome, like there's going to be on some level, you're going to, if you have good outcome and you're in charge of that domain, like you're going to feel pretty good about it. The best you can yeah. do is try to be rigorous about your about when the d- decision-making is based on more than just the emotional internal you know like i, I i'm not really a believer that i'm going to ever just like attain some zen like calm that like if we're a success it's not about i'm i'm amazing i did this but like no we go at all right yeah, yeah. well this has been
1: This has been awesome. I've learned, honestly, I have learned so much about this space, this industry that you're in that uh, I wouldn't have known without getting on here. So thank you for all the information. Thanks for being on the show. Thanks for your time. And once again, a big thank you to today's episode sponsor, Canva. With Canva, you can work together from wherever, get on the same page as your team with seamless real-time collaboration. What will you design today? Explore and start designing for free at canva.com. Daniel, thanks again for your time. Thank you, Startup Hustle, our listeners. We'll
0: see you next time. See you, Drew. Thank you. My pleasure. Startup Hustle is brought to you by Fullscale.io, helping you build a software team quickly and affordably. Make sure you reach down and hit that subscribe button, then come find us on Instagram. See you next time. like we do it